On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we talk with Steve Levine, one of the most influential players in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles history. Plus, Scott Barton returns to talk about Captain Marvel. Now, straight from the New York City sewers, there's a lot of pizza boxes down here. This is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 38 for March 2019. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now to ensure that you never miss an episode. So, scrolls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes, noble warrior heroes. The 21st installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is here, and Shocker continues the studio's incredible winning streak with another record-breaking box office performance. Captain Marvel, starring Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, and a galaxy of others, brings the story of the Marvel Comics powerhouse to life. And here to help me break it down is the Bucky to my Captain America, the Coulson to my Fury, the Rick Jones to my Hulk. That's a deep cut for you comics fans. It's my 14-year-old son, Scott Barton. Give it up. Keep in mind, there are spoilers all over this discussion. If you haven't seen the movie yet and you want to go in unsullied, skip ahead about 20-25 minutes and enjoy the interview. But if you're ready to discuss scrolls, flurkins, Marvel Easter eggs, and hear a teenager's opinion of the 1990s, keep listening. Typically, when a new Marvel Cinematic Universe movie opens up, my boy Scott Barton and I go and see it together this was not the case this time. Scott went and saw it with a few of your friends, right? Yep. Uh, and we're going to find out if that may or may not have altered his impression of the movie. We saw it about a week apart. Scott, you just walked back in the door from seeing I this did. movie. Uh, we have not really talked about it at all. Mm-mm. So what is your general impression of this movie? Um. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good one. One of Marvel's better I might go so far as to say. You might go so far. You you really think that Captain Marvel's one of the better ones? Yeah, I liked it. Why is that? Well What sets it what sets it apart? You know what? Let's take a step back actually. And okay. for those of you just joining us, if you're unfamiliar with the Captain Marvel, this of course would be uh the story of uh noble Cree warrior. What does she warrior say with hero. Warrior Hero, right? She clarifies with Samuel L. Jackson. Noble Cree Warrior Hero. Vers. Veers. Veers. No, Veers is a general from Empire Strikes Back. No, her name is Veers, though. Her name is Veers? Yeah. I need to see the movie again, clearly. The point is that uh, she makes her way to Earth to help try to uh, stave off what she perceives to be a, a scroll invasion or a scroll. Uh, uh, gosh, military maneuver on, on Earth, chasing them down to Earth from... Uh, from outer space, she loses 
contact with her squad, but getting hooked up with a young Nick Fury. Oh, yeah. Little Nick Fury. Um, early in his S.H.I.E.L.D. career, um, since the movie, of course, takes place in the 1990s. Uh, and then, little by little, it occurs to her that maybe her memories are not what they think they are, and her allies are not who she thinks they are. Bum, bum, bum. That musical sting can mean only one thing. Surprises await, and not to the least of them uh, being a cat uh, named Goose. All right, so... Yes. Okay. So, so you think that this is one of the better from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, it is different, of course. Uh, it's gotten a lot of press, of course, for the fact that it is the first film to star a female in the starring role mm-hmm. in a solo, not counting the Wasp. Sorry, Wasp. I don't know why you're getting uh, short shrift after Ant Man and the Wasp. You seem to be the star of that movie to me, but whatever. I guess you're. I guess that doesn't count for whatever reason. So. Um, uh, gosh, yeah, let's talk about the, the characters. What did you think about um, Carol Danvers? Um, I thought she was fun. She was entertaining. I don't know. They, I like Captain Marvel more than a little others, and maybe I'm just saying this because I don't remember the earlier origin stories as much, mm. but like nowadays when it's like Infinity War or Civil War or something like that, it's more like, oh, all these superheroes have to get together. They have to stop a threat, and that's the movie. But like when it's an origin story, it's more about the protagonists themselves, and you care mm. about the characters more. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And I would say even as an origin story, this one's a little bit different. It's not like the straight-up, mild-mannered Peter Parker mm. was just a regular kid until this happened. Tony Stark was a millionaire industrialist until this happened. Um, we're sort of joining her story already in progress. Like, so, so what you're saying is that uh, it feels a lot of the sequels recently are like to the audience. Yeah, yeah, you know who these people are. Yeah. Let's just get to the action. You know what they're all about, and uh, let's have the latest installment of this soap opera called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, and I think in that we just lose some of the quality of it. Hmm. Okay. We don't care about the characters as much. So you like origin stories. You or or yeah, let me take a step back. You like it when it really focuses on the protagonist and it's not just the focus isn't on um whatever their newest world ending um enemy yeah. is up to. Yeah. Okay. Um cool. All right. Uh I you know it's funny when I was watching it I thought it was sort of interesting because I find Carol a little a little cold sometimes, a little distant. Mm. Uh, but maybe that's part of the journey that she goes on because she thinks that's who she is. She thinks she is a sort of cold Cree warrior, um, and uh, then only later does it turn out like, no, you actually are a, a warm human with friends, human friends, um, and others. Um, what else did you? What did you think about her? What did you think about her friends? Um, Fury is. Great, of course. <laughs> He's awesome. Let's see, who else was in this movie? Was it weird to see Nick Fury or Samuel L. Jackson de-aged? Let's talk about the de-aging thing. Oh, did they do the de-aging again? I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he had both of his eyes, of course. Well, I haven't seen Avengers in a while. Yes, he's wildly de-aged, uh, and I can tell you. So, so you're a teenager, of course, whereas mm-hmm. I am 114 years old, yeah. uh, and um, 
so that meant that I saw Sam Jackson in the 90s, watched movies in the 90s uh, with yes, him. Of course. In fact, I just saw some photos of him uh, in Pulp Fiction and a few other things, and ooh, he's a he's a really different looking guy, even a little bit different than how he is de-aged mm. in, in Captain Marvel. And it still sort of cracks me up that I think he looks great, but sometimes the way he moves is sort of the way like a whatever he is in his 50s, 60s mm. or something. It's like, oh, I'm slow to get up. All right, so we also saw a young Agent Coulson doing his thing. Yeah, did you? Did, he wasn't in the trailers at all, right? I was totally surprised by that. Oh, that's cool. He, I don't think he was in the trailers, but I knew he was going to be there. The, yeah, that was a fun surprise for me. I got excited. Yeah, he, he looked really shiny in his he de-aging. <laughs> yeah. Even, all right, I'll give you this, since we're sort of talking about Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe Easter eggs. So in Captain Marvel, they end up, uh, she and Nick Fury end up going to a S.H.I.E.L.D. compound mm-hmm. called Project Pegasus. We have seen Project Ooh. Pegasus before in the movies. Do you know where, Scott? Um, is it like in the beginning of Avengers or something? Is that where Scott Rogers is hanging out, punching his punching bag? Uh, and close super close it is at the beginning of avengers but like at the very beginning of avengers it's it's the uh, scientific complex oh yeah we're like loki they summon loki somehow yeah oh man that's crazy that then gets destroyed in fact we see the same tunnel like in avengers there's a big action sequence where they're driving through a tunnel and loki is trying to blow away maria hill or whatever um, in jeeps as they're driving through a tunnel, and we see that same tunnel in Captain Marvel. Oh, they're so good. I don't know how they do it. I totally nerded out over that. That's amazing. Uh, and of course, Project Pegasus actually is a thing that's deep, deep, deep in the comics in the '80s. But whatever, that's cool. The important thing is that it's also deep, deep in this movie universe. Um, do you want to know another crazy MCU? Oh, well, it's not another MCU tie-in. Tie it's another Marvel Comics tie-in. Okay. okay, so we meet Carol's best friend from yeah. the Air Force. Um, uh, and she's cool. I like yeah. her a lot. What did you think about her and her family? Yeah, um, she's cool. We didn't spend a ton of time with that character. But, yeah, she's fun. I, I think I would have liked to have seen more of them bonding just as buddies. I feel like... Yeah, the movie right. sort of told us that they were friends, but didn't show us other than like, here's a super quick flashback to when they sang karaoke in some bar. Mm-hmm. Here's when they sat in that corner booth in the bar and had a beer or whatever. Yeah, we didn't see them go back to being buddies. Yeah, yeah. We just sort of saw them talking about how things were now and um, how they were going to fix it. Okay, so here's the tie-in for, for Scott. I don't know if you know oh, this. Boy. So... Um, next to, so, so her friend has the call sign. It's on the side of her, um, jet. Her call sign is photon. Okay. Okay. In the comic books, her daughter, who we saw in the movie, uh, grows up to be, uh, her name is Monica is the little girl, Monica Rambo. Um, and, uh, Monica grows up and in the eighties, was the first female Captain Marvel. That's crazy. That's crazy. Scott's jaw just hung open. I love it. Yeah. Monica Monica Rambeau was like wearing silver and black and her, her name she had no connection to all this Cree scroll oh, Marvel thing. Character you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, with the afro. Yeah. Yep. In yeah. the eighties she had a big afro. Um and she was great and she was a 
important member of the Avengers. She yeah. was the leader of the Avengers for a little bit and was a big deal. And then eventually she became, uh, she changed her name a couple times. And I think these days she's called Photon. Mm-hmm. Hence that. Um, so the fact that this movie takes place in the nineties, of course, Avenger or uh, Marvel comics nerds are like, Oh, if this takes place in the nineties, all right, let's do the math. So if the real MCU is about 20, 25 years later, Oh snap. We're totally going to see photon in some movie at some point. Wow. See the grown up version. All right. I'm getting off track. Let's talk oh. about the Cree and the scrolls. Yeah. You desperately were hoping for the Cree scroll war going I into this was movie. Indeed. Yes. And what did you think then by what you got? Yeah. What, what did we get? We saw the Kree Scroll War, but they didn't call it the Kree Scroll War if they just had said it. <laughs> I just need to say the name. Uh, well, I wonder if they're saving that or something in a weird way for some future, I don't know, crazy Avengers, Avengers showdown. Kree Scroll War. Yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see. So so did this play out how you thought it was going to? I will admit, as a Marvel guy, I was totally totally surprised by what they did with um, not surprised by what they did with the Cree. I could sort of you could sort of see that coming. I thought, mm. as in like the Cree maybe aren't Carol's best friends, but I did not see. I never would have guessed that they were going to do what they did with the scrolls. By well, what do you mean by that? What did well, they do? Well, by making by making the ones that we meet at least making them sympathetic, mm-hmm. and actually the victims of this like Cree bullying, in a way that it's mm-hmm. just sort of the Cree chasing them down to advance the glory of their empire. That and was it's the not, twist. Yeah. That was quite the twist. Yeah, and I give that up to the marketing marketing department because I feel like in Captain Marvel marketing, even they just sort of show the the. Uh, Scrolls emerging menacingly from the yeah, water. Totally. You're like, oh, those are the bad guys. And they hired Ben Mendelsohn to be the main one. Right, like, exactly. That's all this guy does is be the mm-hmm. bad guy. Yeah. Um, I thought he was really good. Oh, yeah, I thought he was too. What did you think about um, the fact that it was a whole family reveal and all that? Hmm... Because, of course, oh, Scott is deeply thinking about this one. All right. Because, of course, in the movie, spoiler alert, we learn that uh, really Ben Mendelsohn Talos, that's his name, right? Yeah. Is more or less just looking for his family and just looking to make sure that they are safe. I don't know what you want me to answer with that. (laughs) I know there's not really a question there other than I was totally surprised by that and... uh, thought it was kind of that's not cool. a character is it talos i guess he is in the comics but i'll put it this way he's a small enough character that i don't really know okay. him i don't really remember reading him i think that he was sort of a, a minor figure that they snatched out of um the mythology who is not a small figure though is the supreme intelligence oh. of the kree um they that character is pretty accurate although in the comics um in the movie the supreme intelligence appears to each Cree member as the person that they most respect, right? Yeah. In the comic, that's not the case. In the comic, it's like a green blob with tentacles and um, always looks like some sort of weird, um, extremely angry uh, fruit with uh, tendrils off the top of it. Um, although I thought it was really kind of cool that they did the whole how does it appear to you yeah. thing. Um, especially since in the case of Carol Danvers, the person that she most respected, little did she know, was... Oh, I don't remember the character's name. 
the real character's name? Yeah. Marvel. Oh, right, Marvel. Of course. Yeah. Which I think has also been to get meta about this whole thing, I think is sort of an interesting twist because uh, everyone who is really paying close attention to this um, figured that Jude Law, the character that Jude Law plays, uh-huh. who is Jan Rog, her uh, mentor or whatever the heck he is supposed to be, squad leader, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think a lot of people thought, oh, he's totally Marvel, who was the original Captain yeah, Marvel. Yeah, we were saying that. Yeah, right. In this household, we had put money on that one. Um, and then the idea was going to be like, oh, well, he's going to betray her. Marvel's totally going to betray her. And that's going to make all of the old school fanboys really ticked off because now the legacy of Marvel is tainted. <laughs> but that's not what they did. And instead, they gender flipped Marvel and totally changed what that character was, mm-hmm. but still left Marvel be. Um, like the true hero of this piece. Tell us a little bit about Marvel, won't you, Scott? Well, Marvel, we don't know a ton about Marvel's backstory, but somehow she like became sympathetic with the scrolls, and she became like just um, safeguarding all these scroll refugees in a, a little fortress in orbit above the Earth. Right. Right. And. She came down to Earth, I don't remember why, to keep a look on the scrolls, I guess. To yeah, keep her eye maybe. Out. Or maybe like she came to Earth just to get away from the right, whole... Because then she would be a criminal, uh, I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, that she wanted to like, get off the grid so she could mm-hmm. do her sciencing in private and not deal with all the Kree breathing down her neck yeah. all the time. Um uh, I this also is an interesting movie because it keeps affirming the fact that we should have known that the Kree are kind of jerks. Um, we've seen Ronan, the right. accuser, before in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, we've seen, oh, what's his name? I can't remember the character's name. The actor is Jamon Hunsu, uh, who was on the little uh, Star Force team at the beginning of this movie. Then we see him in Guardians Star of the Force. Galaxy. So the team of Kree commandos okay. that do their little mission um which one was he uh he is the uh uh he's a black guy who then we see in okay. guardians of the galaxy and he's the one that goes he was in all the like the guardians of the galaxy trailers because chris pratt would say i'm star lord and then they'd cut to jimon hunsu oh. and he'd say who that's oh. him yeah and guardians were they working for the the kree i guess Huh. It kind of, yeah. They were sort of working for like Ronan, um, or working for Thanos through Ronan, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, um, I know it's pretty freaky. A lot of connective yeah, tissue. Yeah, I remember that line, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's an iconic line. And the Kree have been all over Agents of Shield on TV, and everyone can argue to death about. Well, are they really tied together? Or is it all connected? Or do they just say it's all connected? It's connected enough for me. Mm-hmm. It's those darn Kree. By gosh. Um, that My blue God. skinned menace of the galaxy. <laughs> um, I'm racist against the Kree. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Uh, oh, I thought you were doing like stand there or something. Right. <laughs> blue skinned menace of the skyways. Yeah. That's what he would write. Let's talk about Goose. 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 Uh, Goose. Your impressions about Goose and um, the revelations about Goose. 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 All right, well, we could chant Goose all night long, but uh, 
Um, I, I really sort of dug Goose as just a regular cat, but of course Goose is not a regular cat. He is a... Flurkin! He's a flurkin, um, which uh, I really liked then when the scrolls were reacting to... I called it. I called that what? he was a flurkin. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How did you know that? Well, why would they make it a thing if he didn't turn out to be a flurkin? Yeah, but I mean, how did you know about flurkins or flurkai, whatever the plural is? No, like I just called it when I was watching the movie. Oh, 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 oh. Like something's up with this cat. Yeah. Right. Of course. Well, like, why would they... Well, you can't keep saying that the cat is a flurkin and then not have the cat be a flurkin because of Chekhov's gun that we were just talking about the other Ooh, day. Oh, what does Chekhov's gun, Scott? Chekhov's gun is originated from the Russian author Chekhov, and his theory is that if you introduce a gun in a story, it has to go off before the story ends. It has to be used. You can't introduce it and not use yeah. it. Nice. I like that. That uh, there's also some improv comedy parallels um there. I've got it. Storytelling. It's all good storytelling. Amen, brother. Yay. All right. Well, in conclusion, um it sounds like some pretty positive reviews. I thought it was intriguing. I think Brie Larson is really deeply cool. Yeah. Um Oh, you visited the 90s the way uh, your mother and I enjoyed them in our in our heyday, in our golden years, golden days. Um, would you live in the 90s and be happy in the 90s? Probably not. No. <laughs> you would not be No, happy. not at all. How come? It's Everything is so slow. You can't do anything. But you could go to a blockbuster video and rent any movie in the world that you want as long as it was one of the 2,000 movies they have in stock. Well, what, what would be the point of that, though? You can just dial up like Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever and watch it there. Or if they don't have it on there, then you can rent it on iTunes and you don't even have to leave the comfort of your home. You're right. The 90s were a horrifying time. Listeners, you would be astonished at how much iTunes, Netflix, and Amazon Prime, how much money they have given us just to say that. <laughs> just to endorse their three companies. The number is zero. Behind the scenes factoid. It's so much. All right. So uh, let's wrap things up by talking about, because we're being spoilery in this um, the final credits scenes. So we have two pretty dope uh, scenes leading us out of Captain Marvel. Yeah. The first one clearly tying directly into Endgame. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. It begins with um, with Steve Rogers watching the numbers go up as the dead are counted after the snapping. And it's just the reaction of the Avengers reacting to all this horrible news. And they're radioing Brie Larson, and they don't even know what this thing is that Fury left behind. That's right. But then Brie Larson just shows up, and she's like, what happened? I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. What does she say? No, that's pretty true. She say, well, they're just like, oh, put new batteries in it. Put new AA batteries yeah. in that thing. It slowed down or something, and they turn around. She's standing there like a... Japanese horror film character. Um, <laughs> all it's creepy. And basically says, where's Fury? And right. that's, and that's the blackout, Fury? which is pretty cool. Um, and then we get one more little scene. Uh, and uh, what cracks me up about this scene is the difference between how you perceive it or how you know it's going to go down, whether you own a cat or not. If you were an audience, so so describe the scene and tell me, uh, how you think it was going to go down, or like, how, what did you call it? I guess I did not call really? it. <laughs> yeah, or it's just Fury's empty desk, and then Goose 
jumps up, and Goose looks like he's going to cough up a hairball, and then he coughs up the Tesseract. Yeah. Which kind of cracks me up. I, I I will say, as soon as there is an empty desk presented and Goose jumped up on it, I thought, this cat's going to throw up on the desk. There's no way, because that's what cats do. They'll find the space that they shouldn't be in, get on it, throw up. Um, the fact that it was the Tesseract is is pretty funny, which then I guess means chronologically, is this, we see, the, right, we see Goose throw up the Tesseract here in 1993 right, or whatever it is. must have jumped back in time after the first after credit scene. It's got to be the 90s. Unless there's some time jump forward and Goose is still hanging out at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. But, but, the, but the point is, is this the last time we see the Tesseract before then we see the Tesseract, chronologically speaking now, before okay. we see the Tesseract in S.H.I.E.L.D.? Like at the beginning of Avengers or at the tail end of Thor? What about Thor? Okay, let's let's start at the beginning here. Oh, so Lord. we see the Tesseract in Captain America. Yeah, we see the Tesseract right. in the 1940s, and at some point in there, it goes to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And then from there, we assume that Marvell found it somehow with her superior alien technology, which mm. I believe. Okay, I believe that too. I buy that. And she kept this in her ship, right? That's where they sure, find it? Sure, her ship or her lab or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and from there, Fury has it. He gives it to Goose at some point, which we don't see. Or Goose just eats it. Right. Because <laughs> why not? So that's the 90s, and... Then Goose yarfs it up uh-huh. somewhere in the 90s, we assume. At S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. At S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. So then when is the next time we see it? In Thor, when the Asgardians have it? Oh, this is a good question. Aren't they keeping it in their vaults? Yeah, I think so. We see the Eye oh, of Agamotto, all right. the Tesseract, well, uh, Scott, the, Tesseract S- the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, although they've even joked, then though they, yeah. in Ragnarok, they said, oh, this is a fake Infinity Gauntlet to like sort of nod to the fact that Thor got really overexcited about showing all these treasures in the Marvel uh-huh. Universe and then realized like, oh no, we can't have the, all these things in the trophy room. All right, the point is we've got some homework to do, I think, to figure out the timeline of the Tesseract, um, fun times ahead. Uh, and of course, Endgame is uh, opening in like two months or less. So soon. So we're going to know so soon what's going to happen there. And um, uh, I'm really excited to see Captain Marvel in action again. Oh, one last thing about the Tesseract. So Carol gets her powers from some Tesseract explosion, basically. Carol has Tesseract powers. So what does this mean in regards to Endgame? We don't know! Which one is the Tesseract? I can never remember because the, the comics isn't the same as the Power movies. Stone? Space Stone? I don't, I don't remember. <sighs> I know it as the blue one. <laughs> I know in the comics it was the Mind Stone, but I don't know. I don't know. All right, so we have double the homework. We've got to chart out the Tesseract timeline and also which stone um, the Tesseract was. Oh, boy. Uh, once again, for the 21st time in a row, make mine Marvel. Well done, Marvel Cinematic hey. Universe. We'll see you again really soon. Oh, bye-bye. When you hear the words Teenage Mutant Ninja 
Turtles. A series of names probably automatically races through your head. Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, Splinter, April O'Neil, Steve Levine. Okay, maybe Steve Levine's name isn't as familiar to you as the others, but he's as important to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise as a fifth hero in a half shell. It's hard to believe that there was a time when the Turtles were just another black and white independent comic book, which was conceived as a parody of popular comics from the early 1980s, like New Mutants from Marvel, Frank Miller's dystopian samurai series Ronin at DC, and a few others. In 1984, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles debuted with a first issue print run of 3,250 copies. By the end of 1987, their first cartoon series had begun, the action figure line was on the shelves, and an unstoppable cultural juggernaut roaring forward like a turtle party wagon playset action figure sold separately. And when a property ramps up that quickly to become that big, you need more power behind the scenes. More turtle power, if you will. And that's where Steve Levine comes in, one of the unsung behind-the-scenes players of one of the most globally popular, culturally ubiquitous franchises of the last few decades. This interview took place on the show floor at the Garden State Comic Fest back in July 2018, so please excuse the standard comic convention background noise and audio hubbub. And what bizarre link does Steve share with Michelangelo, besides the fact that he's drawn him a thousand times and also enjoys pizza? Let's find out. The legend of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles usually begins and ends with co-creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. But did they have other employees who helped build that empire? Of course they did. Don't shake oh, they your did, head. Did, yes, yes, that's yes. shake it that way. That of way, course, right. of course. Yeah. The first employee of Mirage Studios was Steve Levine, who played a significant role in the rise of the Turtles in the 1980s. Hello, Steve. Hello, how are you? I'm awesome. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Let's let's cover the backstory first. Your origin story. Story. Oh my God, I you, have an origin. You, yeah, sure, a secret origin. You went to high school with Kevin Eastman, is that right? I, I did. Kevin and I went to Westbrook High School together. Excellent. And and when they needed help on the original series, why why were you the guy that got the call? Why did you get recruited? Well, in, in high school, Kevin and I, um, we'd even occasionally pass a piece of art to each other when we were kind of stuck. So we kind of dug each other's stuff. And um, at the time, Kevin was lettering the comics. Mm -hmm. uh, completely Pete wasn't doing that part of it. And Kevin asked me to practice lettering if I wanted to maybe sign up and I practiced a little bit I maybe got a little bit better than him and, and uh, I was totally in right there I swear a monkey could have done the job but <laughs> I'm glad he gave it to me I was gonna say we're gonna we're gonna sell you much more than that maybe I got a little bit good at it no 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 there were no monkeys on that team yeah, no. um, so aside from your role on on the creative team on the original comic book you had a front row seat for the swift ascent of the property as it quickly took over comics and animation and toys and you name it. Tell me about the shift from, hey, we got to finish up issue number six to yeah. like, uh, hey guys, I think that uh, I think this is becoming a thing. What was that like? That, that was really strange. I mean, it, it sounds like a quick ascent. Yeah. Those were the Kraft macaroni and cheese years, so you got to remember that, you know, so <laughs> they lasted a little longer than the average year, but um, it, was, 
it was really odd because we went, yeah, from a black and white comic and, you know, just doing a color cover to all of a sudden we had sculpts of turtle toys. Granted, they weren't doing it or anything, but we were looking at those and it was crazy. It was just insane. You know, we had, in the Turtle Power documentary that came out a couple few years ago now, there's a nice little video shot in mine and Kevin's apartment of us popping champagne and, <laughs> you know, doing all this stuff and looking at the turtle toys woo, and all this stuff. And that was the very beginning, which was crazy. You know, I and now here we are 33 years later on my end, 34 on theirs and still looking at green things and yeah. drawing things in the sewer <laughs> and on rooftops, you know, it's, it's insane, you know, but it was very, very surreal, but for sure, it was so on top of everything happened so quickly. We were, you know, doing, wearing multiple hats, you know, I'm working on the Mirage book and drawing stuff for the licensing, you know, right. that type of stuff, which was very interesting. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Eventually you became the licensing uh, artist and licensing art director for, for the Ninja Turtles property. And that meant that you're creating art for products and promotional partners, that sort of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you had a product and you wanted a piece of art, you could get it pre-approved, but you know, right from, from Mirage, or you could do it yourself. And then I would have to art direct it, uh, which I always joke the art direction was, okay, one, two, three <laughs> fingers, two toes, right yeah. belt buckle, right bandana. But right. we tried to be as liberal as we could with, sure. you know, cause we didn't want to make it difficult for licensees to get a product out, but yeah. you know, we had to keep some quality control. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Do, do you recall some of the more unusual or unique art needs that you created content for or, or conversely had to art direct I for? I two go-to, which is beautiful for okay. that question. Great. Um, the first being, uh, back in the, in the eighties, there, there was the, um, big kids, you know, the fake razors with no razor in it, with shaving cream that kid for little kids to shave, which, sure. you know, they had Superman, Spider-Man, which again, didn't make a whole lot of sense, but turtles have no hair at all. <laughs> so we had to do our turtle with a razor and I'm like, this, maybe a naked shredder, you know, shaved yeah. himself, but no, they wanted turtles shaving. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. And the other one was a tackle box, you know, and they wanted like a sewer tackle box, you know, so it was like turtles fishing in a little boat catching leatherhead in the sewer, you know, that type of thing. It's like, what the hell? You know, but that, there was a lot of weird products, but those two are my favorites. The, obviously, the important thing there is that we're catering to every child's love of shaving and fishing. 100%. Which kids are, that's the go-to. That, that, that's the comic crossover right there is shaving and fishing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, do, uh, do you recall, uh, were there folks that wanted to partner or, or do art that you ever had to shut anything down? Like, that's no way. We're not doing that. Very few, very few. Kevin and Pete, I always say that. Um, they were really generous with the turtles. Let everybody play in the toy box, yep. and um, and let let them draw them in different styles. Mm -hmm. Like a, a, there was a gentleman Mike Zuli who we knew very well, who drew him kind of like hulking, really snapping, nasty, snapping turtley looking beast. And then yeah. I've seen cartoon versions of them, you yeah. know, in, in the Mirage line. Uh, so they were always good about about letting them do that. There was a, you know a smut book that was somebody tried to get across, which we were like, no, 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 no. Um, right. But basically, they were pretty generous and I mean unless something was really offensive then yeah. they would tell them to rewrite it if they were going to do the work but other than that right. they were usually pretty good you know and that's really cool actually a lot of uh, properties are, are obviously so tight about about how they can be presented and when they can be presented so the fact that there is wiggle room with uh, with the turtles frankly sort of improves its longevity I and think. I think that's the, it's because it's creator owned so they didn't they wanted to see what other people would do with them yeah. you know it's their 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 property so they didn't have to protect it as much as some of the big corporations right. I mean we're still goofing around trying to figure it out ourselves. So. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, not to get too poetic about merchandising items, but I think that fans bond with those, you know, random bits and pieces sometimes, even the tackle boxes, <laughs> because in some cases, you know, that's what they see on 
they're hanging on their wall every day for years. That's the one thing that they right? have. You That's know, the Burger King glass that they use for 10 exactly. years of their childhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was liking it too, like, because there's multiple fandoms of the Turtles. Yeah. Um, you know, there's people that just saw the rock and roll show. And that's all they know. <laughs> and you're like, that's all you know. And I've met video game players that never bought a comic, never bought a toy, but they love the turtles. I'm like, how do you love turtles? I have all the video games. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's very odd um, in that way to have so many different fandoms yeah. like that, you yeah. know, like broken up within one thing. But um, for sure. Yeah, but it's very interesting. There, there have been so many different iterations of the characters on TV and in film, uh, as, as you're saying, and, and so many people come to the franchise from so many different directions. Do you have a favorite on-screen version of the characters? Was there a particular animated series or well, one of the versions I mean, of the films the, that you like? The animated series that just ended. Yeah. Uh, I love the 2K series because Pete kind of funded that. That was Fox Box and um, the bunch of the original episodes were the original Mirage Studios books yeah. kind of retold. So that that always has a big soft spot. Love what the uh, CGI Nickelodeon just finished up. That show was fantastic. My favorite, The Turtle movie, the first movie, as perfect as a movie can be. I mean, I've watched a lot of movies that we used to watch in the 80s again <laughs> and gone like, why did we like this? Yeah. And yeah. this, you kind of... Well, that doesn't hold up at all. No, but, oh my yeah. God, that was amazing right. back then. Right. You know, and the Turtles, for some reason, it really still holds up. Yeah. You know, I've, I've watched it recently and gone, why don't they just remake this this way instead of giant Shrek Hulks? Sure. You know, um, they're small. They're supposed to be in the sewer, you know? It's, it's just interesting how they got gigantic and less ninjury <laughs> as time wore on. You yeah, know? exactly, but, exactly. Uh, in conclusion, as we wrap up, I think that I'm probably legally obligated to ask you about the fact that Kevin Eastman has claimed that you're the basis for Michelangelo. Yeah. I know I know that you get it a lot, but... Um, I, my my go-to is look. I look, sure. just, I look yep. just like him from there up, but um, <laughs> I think I was the goofy guy in the studio. I was a guy that, you know, a couple guys got a little yeah. into it. I was a guy that looked over and like, what? Come on, <laughs> be realistic, you know? Um, I think that was probably more so, I was kind of, you know, that... And a lot of our personalities got into the early Mirage books. Me and Kevin lived together, so all the stupid stuff I'd say in our apartment... It all yep. magically it's found its way in. Casey's yeah. mother, I'm like, that's, I said that yesterday, you right. know, like, so a lot of that happened, you know, I mean, we even, it's nice, uh, not only being the personality for Michelangelo, we got to be in books, I, and I, I, beaten up Casey Jones and gotten beaten up by Casey Jones <laughs> in a couple of different books, so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, that, you know, right. Ah, the honor slash indignity. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the second time, though, I, when we kicked his butt, we stole his car, so I feel like it balanced out. Yeah. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, excellent. Well, thank you so much for the time. I wish you a mighty Kawabunga and hope what, you have a great show. back at you. Oh, uh, thank you. Or should I Booyakasha back to you? I, w I will accept either. Okay. Uh, that's wonderful. And have a great time here thank at the Garden you. State Comic Fest. We Thanks are, again. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Steve Levine is a bona fide road warrior and is most likely appearing at a comic convention near you in the near future. In the next few months, he'll be in Anchorage, London, St. Louis, Hartford, and more. Check him out on Facebook at Shellback Artworks for the latest convention updates and for the opportunity to pick up some amazing original vintage art. The page is a must-visit for Turtles fans. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guest, Steve Levine. Thanks also to Dave O'Hare, Sal Zerzolo, Eric Belomo, and the tireless staff of the Garden State Comic Fest who helped me connect with Steve in the first place. And thanks as well to Scott Barton for sitting down with his old man to talk about superhero movies. Love that kid. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know, truly. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? 
and what deserves to be slow roasted over a spit in the Ewok village and then served up in a feast honoring that golden god they found in the woods. You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Geekawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Geekawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Geekawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And while you're nerding around on the internet, please be sure to visit marvel.com where you can find more of my writing within the Marvel Top 10 video series. The latest installment is Top 10 1960s Team Origins. And if you know Marvel, you know that the 60s was an incubator of comic book awesomeness. So head on over to marvel.com and check it out. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section on iTunes. It is so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. We want this show to grow and you can help. Whether you're a subscriber or not, I would be so grateful if you left the show a review, hopefully a good one, over on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because that's how computer algorithms work, apparently. And if you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You clearly found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations! Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation for you. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with Steve Levine, I encourage you to check out episode number 20 when I spoke with another talented man whose name might not be familiar but whose work you're certainly aware of. That would be writer Anthony Johnston, who created the graphic novel The Coldest City, which would then be adapted for the screen as the action film Atomic Blonde, which he would co-produce. What a guy! That's episode number 20 of 1.21 Geekawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. And please share this episode, or another one that you enjoyed, on the social medias with a friend who's also into geek-skewing entertainment. Let people know that you're listening. Huge gratitude to the Wazerzada of the Woofer, composer and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome rocking out with the 1.21 Gigawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Whatever geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad He'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Can you hear me? Do you know what city you're in? Do you know where you are? Have you seen that video where the cat plays chopsticks with the chopsticks? Can we focus here? Guys, please, come on, give her some air. What are you? Well, miss, uh, we're ninjas. We're mutants. Well, technically we're turtles. Oh, and we're teenagers. But we can still have adult conversations. So, here.
mutant turtle teenagers. Well, when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs>